Hello and welcome to Animated Meditation, a semi-weekly deep dive podcast on all things animation. My name is Andy, I will be your host for tonight, and with me as always, my lovely co-host Nadia. Hello! How are you doing, Nadia? I am doing very well. I got my second dose of the vaccine last week, so I have one more week to go until I am ready to continue to do everything that I have been doing, but also just maybe with some friends. So that's nice. <laughs> that's exciting. I I had my first dose, what was it, some time ago. Yay, how'd you feel after? Uh, about two weeks ago. Oh, yay! So you are almost right. Did you end up getting Pfizer or Moderna? I got Moderna. Ooh, you and Larry are the Moderna mamas, and I am a Pfizer papa. So, <laughs> that's... <laughs> yay! I felt tired after, but that was about it. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was after both. I got like a pretty bad headache after the first one, but I think that was also just because of like work the next day, because I didn't really have a day to rest. And then the second one, I was able to take a day off the following day, and I was expecting to feel super sick, because like Leah texted me after her second dose and was like, Katie and I both feel like we got run over by a truck. If you can, please take a day off of work after your second dose. And I was like, well, dang, better be cautious. And then I was fine. I was just tired and I played Stardew Valley all day, but oh. <laughs> it, was, it was, I was fine. And then I was like, oh my God, I felt fine. Like what if my immune system isn't as strong as it should be? And what if I'm not actually responding to the vaccine the way I should? But it's fine. Everyone's bodies react differently. So yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I'm sure I'll be fine. I do. I, I taking the vaccine. I can't remember if it's the Wednesday or the Thursday at the end of this month. I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. But I am, I am getting that Thursday, Friday. Friday off and just take a nice four-day weekend. Yeah, you totally deserve it. And then the good thing is if you do feel sick, then you have some time to rest. And if you don't, you just have a couple extra days to, like, jump right? And I was definitely super tired. So I think, like, not having the anxiety when you get your second dose of, like, whether or not you're going to have to deal with work or, like, if we're going to start feeling sick later in the day, it was very nice to not have any of that and to just be like, well, either way, I get a day. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Larry is getting his second one on. I don't know. It's all working out good. Yay, vaccine. Everything's working out, and then soon I will be able to see the people I care about. Yeah, I am so excited. I feel emotionally excited, but also emotionally unready, because I've spent so much time telling people, no, I can't see you. What are you talking about? We're in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) That, like, even though I know I am fully vaxxed at this point, because none of my behaviors have changed yet, right? Like, I'm obviously still masking and still social distancing and still being aware of other people who haven't been vaccinated yet i like don't feel like i've been vaccinated so i think it's really just gonna hit me when i'm actually able to see friends again when you end up going out and seeing people yeah i'm gonna be like oh my god wow wow and i think you and leah are gonna be the first people i actually see so i'm very excited oh get ready for the waterworks oh yeah that's exciting I have been going on hikes with people just to, like, be around people at some points in my life. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I love hiking. And there are a bunch of really great places around, too. Yeah. Hey, we'll go for a hike. Yeah, I would love to go on a hike. Also, I did finish reading the book Cemetery Boys, and I highly recommend it. It is incredibly sweet and lovely. Oh, okay. So if you're looking for a nice YA book with a trans protagonist and Latinx magic and culture, it's super sweet claps all around. Ooh, I'm very sweaty. Okay, I'm ready to talk about Infinity Train! Wait, is that what we came here for? I had to think for a second about whether or not I wanted to sing Crazy Train, and I decided not to, but if you want me to redo that and sing some Crazy Train... I still, I still don't understand why that exists. That's not how it goes. That's not at all how it, that's not at all how Crazy Train goes. Are you sure? No, I'm pretty sure that was spot on. Today we're gonna talk about Infinity Train. You better not cut that out. You better keep that in. Season two, Infinity Train. Okay. Two. <laughs> I forgot to say what season. I will. I will make sure to not cut that out. All right, but yeah, today we are discussing book two of Infinity Train, as we have been with any sequel to a series that we've already discussed. Full spoilers for whatever 
thing we've already discussed. Go go watch book one of Infinity Train. It's available on HBO Max. And come back and enjoy. <laughs> and if you've not listened to our episode on the first book, do that. We we go into a lot of deep and existential things that we will probably continue to delve into on this one. It is definitely a show that breeds that, so get ready. Get ready for philosophy. Talk philosophy? Get ready for philosophy by two people who have not studied philology, but are nevertheless going to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! We are. (laughs) Is that not what podcasts are? Just two people completely out of their depth in the subject that they're discussing? It's really... Pretending like they know what they're saying? It's really funny because Larry minored in philosophy and pretty much had the courses to double major in it, but he was missing um, like a second symbolic logic course that he didn't have time to take. So he could- It's fine, we can throw a bunch of symbols at him. Yeah, I am just imagining him listening to this episode and being like, wow, I could have I could have said all these things so much, so much better and like actually known the words, but that's okay. It's fine. Everyone can talk about philosophy. Everyone can think. There, there you have it, folks. Get ready. Oh, my body is ready. Yay. All right. Infinity Train is about a train that takes people when they are at a low point in their life. It kidnaps them, it psychologically tortures them, and then hopefully spits them out a better person. I see nothing wrong with the way that you have summarized this show. (laughs) Uh, It is an anthology series that follows a different individual every season, or I guess book, as they call it here. And while we are following a different individual, it does have an overarching story throughout. For those who remember book one, this book two follows the mirror version of Tulip from the episode of the Chrome Car as they journey through the train and try to discover who they are. How did you feel about book two? I remember when I first watched book two, it took me a little bit more time to get into than book one because Tulip is a protagonist. I mean, obviously all of the protagonists are flawed. That is the entire point of the show. But Empty is more abrasive in the beginning than Tulip is. So it was a little bit easier for me to immediately connect more with Tulip. So going into the second book, I didn't feel that immediate connection with Empty. So it took a few episodes for me to like really start to get on board, ha ha ha, so to speak, with the characters that we were following. So I think that was an interesting shift from season one. I really loved book or book book one, I guess. I really enjoyed book two. I think that it gets into it sort of like gets into thinking about a lot of the questions that I left book one having in terms of sort of the like the philosophy of the train, in terms of the impact of this world on people other than the person that like the the people that are on it and I think that it was a very natural progression from book one to book two and I think that book two made a lot of sense it definitely gets darker (laughs) sooner than book one did so I again I typically am not the person who likes that but I think that this show did that this book did a really really good job of like shifting into this tone and really giving viewers something to to think about as they moved through the train. Absolutely. I I personally was enamored with book two from the beginning. I think Mirror Tulip's introduction in the first book did enough for me to understand why this character would be so abrasive going into book two. As well as just the general world building that they do in just that first scene, establishing that the the mirror cops can go through any reflective surface and empty themselves like, girl, get yourself a makeover. <laughs> Yay! Looking badass! Looking good. You doing what you need to do to look like you. Yeah! And I love that. Um, I think the the overall story arc really caught me. I think the comedy is quite solid throughout. I think the, the reintroduction of existing characters and the existing lore is what really does it for me with this book in particular. But I do agree this book definitely does get much heavier, much quicker than book one does. And it the the pacing is definitely much more story oriented as 
MT and Jesse's story. Yeah, and you definitely get that just with the shift of episodes. The first book very much has episodes that are sort of like little condensed room adventures, and then you start to get the carryover near the end when all when all like the big finale stuff starts to happen. But right from the beginning, book two starts off with episodes that flow from one into the other without having that break in between of time that's passed and then you also have a lot of episodes where there are multiple episodes that follow the exact same story or break up a room into multiple episodes which we didn't really have in book one if i remember correctly so i think yeah book one only really had connective tissue between episodes for i believe the last two yeah and there was also it was made pretty clear that there was a chunk of space and time in between episodes so like there'd be an episode with a room and then the next episode they'd be in another room but they would have acknowledged the fact that in between they had done a bunch of stuff that we as an audience hadn't seen whereas book two were pretty much with the characters for their whole journey together chronologically we don't we don't miss anything yes yeah which was different and i i think it made sense so i think that was a good yeah book one gives you this feeling of the train truly being infinite where book two can really deep dive into what a character really needs to go through whilst on the train yeah and i think it makes a lot of sense too in a show where you are in the same world but are following another character to have structural differences that set apart the different books because you have the tonal shift which we're going to talk about a lot later but like you have a shift in tone and I think having the shift in structure is so cool because I I absolutely love talking about structure I think the structure that you choose to tell a story is so unbelievably important and I think you have so much agency when you're choosing a structure and I think that each structure serves such a different purpose so for this show to actively think about okay which character are we following and what story are we telling and how do we need to shift the structure in which we tell that story to get the message across as best as we can because it would have been super easy for them to just follow the same pattern from the first book right like different episode different car you move through you have a different protagonist great there's a story we're following the same path but for them to shift it has so much more potential to tell this story and this arc especially as it becomes much more character driven now that we already have a sense of the world it's just so freaking brilliant it is so so good absolutely and i I i do think that that also tells a story of people like different people heal at different paces different people learn at different paces and different people have issues that are going to take a a different amount of time to really delve into and heal from where in book one tulip i believe took six months on her journey Mm -hmm. that sounds right Jesse in this one, not nearly as much time, but what Jesse is dealing with is not nearly as deep or as scarring as tulips. Yeah. And then also with Empty, there's like a ticking clock as well. There's this there's this urgency of the journey because with the Chrome Cops or however the Flex, right? With the Flex. The Flex, yeah, yes. Like actively <laughs> tr- tr- trying to kill them. There's there's this real sense of time and of the urgency of time and of the importance of time. So to be there on every step of the journey, we are aware of the time and the pace just as much as MT is. And I think that that works really well to bond you to the character as well. So MT is carryover from book one, but Jesse is a new character. And then we, we also have Alan Dracula, who is a new character, who's the, I guess, animal sidekick, but definitely takes that trope and turns it up on its head. What were your thoughts on the new characters that we got in this book? I love Alan Dracula. Me too. Do you have, okay, so do you have a favorite Alan Dracula? Like a favorite moment where Alan Dracula just did something real goofy or like a favorite evolution of Alan Dracula? This is very important to me. I have one in my mind. (laughs) A favorite Alan Dracula moment? Yeah. Or just like, because as Alan Dracula is going through life, being the magical deer that he is, sometimes he'll- Is is Alan Dracula a deer? Only in appearance sometimes? I, I always viewed Alan Dracula as the sort of eldritch horror being. That's okay. That just so sort of as chooses eldritch, to exist as a deer. As the eldritch horror being that Alan Dracula is, he <laughs> takes many different forms. And I have a favorite form, and Larry has a favorite form, and I'm wondering if you have a favorite. I don't. I don't know if I. I don't know if I do. I just like Alan Dracula as a character. <laughs> Okay, 
well, I am now going to share our favorite forms. Larry's... You know, you know, no, no, I take that back. I take that back. I like mini Alan Dracula. Mini, that's a good one. Okay, Larry's favorite Alan Dracula was when he turns into a bunch of little balls and just, like, bounces away. And my favorite Aww. Alan Dracula is when he turns into a pickle jar with his head poking out and just rolls down the road. No, I like I like the mini... I like the, the fact that we went through these lengths just for grass. <laughs> Pretty, pretty good. But yeah, I absolutely love the new characters that we got in book two. I think Alan Dracula is a hoot and is definitely responsible for a lot of the comedy in season two, as you just watch him be weird in the most amazing ways possible. And I, I really love Jesse. I just, like, he's just so sweet. And I just want to, like, wrap him up and be like, little boy, let's grow together, friend. And I love it. Jesse had to grow on me. Re- I did okay, not like Jesse at so the beginning. So we both had opposite reactions to the characters, because I was really taken with Jesse and it took me a while to warm up to MT and you had the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Why Why at first were you a little bit apprehensive about him? I'd like, I don't mind characters that tend to be low intelligence. <laughs> or not necessarily intelligence, but like low wisdom for the, for the D&D terms. Uh-huh. But I don't know. He just made decisions. It was like, you... Just, just, just shut up. And you don't think that MT's like complete misunderstanding of how the train works and how people grow wasn't also low wisdom? No, but we went into MT completely understanding why they would think that way. I guess. Like, MT's general concept of the human condition is fairly limited, and she has only just now retrieved her own proper body and been able to interact with other individuals and hasn't really interacted with many other individuals up to that point. I can absolutely buy the naivete that that MT has up to that point. Jesse, on the other hand... Yeah, but at that point, we don't even know what information Jesse got going on to the train. All we know is that he wakes up in this weird place with a number on his hand that sometimes, but not very often, changes. So I don't I know. Think- I think having rewatched the season, I'm a lot more for Jesse. I'm a lot more on Jesse's side, and I absolutely understand his journey and why he is so just gosh darn stupid. Okay, I love I love him. A lot of my frustrations came with the issues that he had boarded that train on in the first place, and I think in my initial That's viewing pretty- of it. I yeah. did not know that coming in. Yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. I think I just love me a sweet little himbo. Oh. Yeah. No. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think obviously both of them grew on me quite a bit over the course of this book. And I think they grew on me together as they as they grew together, so to speak. And I yeah, I enjoyed the new characters we got in this book. Is Infinity Train book to a show or a, a, a book of a, a show <laughs> yeah, but blah, 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 blah. is Infinity Train book to something you would recommend? Yes, absolutely. I think if you liked book one, you should absolutely enjoy book two. I think that if you watched book one and were like, all right, there's something here, but like, I think the world and the ideas need a little bit more unpacking, get ready because book two is here, here to do that for you um it does get a little bit darker so if an aspect of the first book if its tone was something that you really liked just you know be prepared that book two does get darker but it still carries the same i think energy that the first book had it just starts to really dive into some larger some larger issues of the train and of the way it works and the characters and the the um, implications of this world so if you're here for that by all means book two is here for you it does a lot of i think it does a lot more world building i think it's super character driven it's still got that humor and that focus on self-growth and relationships i think it's just an excellent transition from book one yep i absolutely agree i think if you watched book one and you really enjoyed book one book two is absolutely worth the watch i think if you watched book one and you wanted a bit more of a serious discussion a bit more of a serious look at the train and what's happening book two definitely gives you that i think infinity train in general is a show that is worth watching overall and it's definitely a show that honestly needs the views book four was recently released and it looks 
looks like from at least Cartoon Network's perspective, Book 4 will be the final Infinity Train installment, despite there being plans for a Book 5 and so on already in the mix. So basically, everyone go watch the show so that we get more seasons. Thank you! Yeah! Watch it! Tell everyone else to watch it! I... Go watch it! Tell people to watch it! Bother these corporations on Twitter or whatever other social medias yeah, they have. everybody... Pick up your phone and write a letter to Cartoon Network telling them... Pick up your phone, dial 1-800-FINISH-INFINITY-TRAIN, get on it. Write a letter to Cartoon Network Incorporated at Cartoon Network Boulevard and let them know that... Or, you know, even better, take a train down to their headquarters and let them know you want more of this show. Is Is there a train that leads to Cartoon Network's headquarters? I have never once in my life thought of about Cartoon Network as a physical entity that needs a physical building, so I have no idea where they are even located. There's a Cartoon Network hotel? What? Why? <laughs> In Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Do you want to go to Lancaster, Pennsylvania? Uh, if there's a Cartoon Network hotel, I guess we better. Now I have to look that up. I was going to look up Cartoon Network headquarters. I typed in Cartoon Network age, which is like Cartoon Network hotel. You room got it. types. Step into your adventure. Oh boy, Andy, what room do we want? <laughs> oh, they have a little wee bear bear's room. That's really adorable. Oh, oh. Is there an infinity trade room? Uh, they're located in Burbank, California. Well, then why the heck is their hotel in Pennsylvania? In Lancaster, Pennsylvania? I don't know what to tell you. Why? Also... Okay, I gotta focus. No, we, wait, this isn't the we talk about our <laughs> dream suite in the Cartoon Network Hotel episode? This is time for... I thought that's what this was. Yeah, this has all just been a really big lead-in to us talking about the public transportation that we are going to take to get to the hotel at Cartoon Network. And now, in excruciating detail, we will outline our itinerary for you. Honestly, the more I think about this, the worse of an idea it sounds like. Honestly, I was going to say the exact opposite, so it's good to know we are not on the same page. Well, no, no. I want I want a Cartoon Network hotel. I want to do this. I want to go there. I want to do all this. This sounds amazing. But the demographic that this kind of hotel would bring in is the kind of demographic I would want to punt across a room. <laughs> well, who said that won't be the purpose of our journey, Andy? <laughs> You know what, if you are willing to pay for my bail after I punt a child across a Cartoon Network themed hotel, then yes, I'm all in. I guess I'll start saving and I'll have to look up exactly what the bail would look like and what the laws in Pennsylvania are. So in terms of punting children. (laughs) Yep. Gonna be great. Disclaimer, we do not advocate for the abuse of kids or anyone. Thank you. We, we, ha- we legally have to say that that was a joke. 100%, 100%. I am a very yep. nice person. Anyway, now that we've dug ourselves into this wonderful, wonderful hole, you want to you wanna get into some spoilers? You can get together breakfast. What does that even mean? Why would you want separate breakfast? What do, what do you mean, what does that mean? Do you not remember the episode of Steven Universe where he makes breakfast and he calls it together breakfast? No. And it's literally just a bunch of waffles with some whipped cream on it, and then he pours popcorn all over it. Wait, oh my god. Can you- Ooh, those french fries look good. Oh my god, they have little wee bear bears <laughs> macarons. Andy, Andy, that's the cutest freaking thing I've ever seen. Why is that so cute? Okay, I need to I need to stop looking at menus for this hotel that we will never, ever, ever go to. Um, <laughs> anyway, Infinity What train. do you mean, never, ever, ever? <laughs> Well, considering- I'm already booking a room for next week. <laughs> but I don't have our bail money ready, Andy. Andy, no! <laughs> All right. So now that we have gone on our wonderful, beautiful aside, let's dive into some spoilers. Moving forward, we will be discussing Infinity Train Book 2 with no restraint on spoilers. If you have not seen it, it is available on HBO Max. Please do so. And also tell Cartoon Network- to get their stuff in a bag and put it together because <laughs> they they really they they're really dropping the ball on this one. I just got to say that that rhetoric was incredibly inspiring Andy and if our listeners are not immediately implored to tell Cartoon Network to get a bag and put their stuff together then I I don't know what else what else we can do because that was probably the just most Just put impassioned. it just put all your stuff in that bag and keep it together. <laughs> 
going to start telling that to myself when I'm having like a breakdown. I'll be like, Nadia, <laughs> take all your things and put them in a bag and just keep it together. Because those, whew, didn't know. I thought we were just here for animated show talk. I didn't know I was going to get inspired along the way. <laughs> it's what I'm here for. It's all I'm good for. <laughs> So yes, go go do that thing I said. Now now we talk about murder and death. Hey, but you weren't ready for that one unless you've seen the season and then yeah. But also, why no infinity train room in in this? Because they probably didn't want to scar their people. Hey, have you had it rough? No. Do you have some growing units? <laughs> Do you want to acknowledge that you're at a really low point in your life? Well, have we got the room for you? The infinity train room. We will lock you in there. Are you a grown person who spent money on a room intended for children? <laughs> you, oh boy, you... oh boy. Well, then... Do we want to psychologically torture <laughs> you? Yeah, literally. See, now in my head, the narrative of this hotel is that you book a room and then you arrive and the people at the front desk assess your family. And if they determine that you need the infinity train room, they put you in the infinity train room. (laughs) And they just don't let you out until you've sorted through some raw emotional trauma. Yep. So that's... I buy it. This is all just a front for like alternative mental health care. Really, really bad alternative mental health care. (laughs) (laughs) Not not what we suggest to anyone is a care plan at all. Whatever you do, don't sign their waiver. Read the fine print. Not worth it. Know what you're in for and also know that if you are choosing it, you're wrong. But also if you are choosing this, you probably are at a point where you do really need an infinity train experience. If you're actively like, yeah, this is what I want, then then wow. Wow, yikes. Anyway. (laughs) Now that we've insulted a bunch of people. Book two of Infinity Train focuses on identity throughout its entire series. The, The two main characters do a lot to struggle with who they are and who they really want to be as individuals. By the end of the show, I'm going to say this because if I don't, it's going to be very confusing for individuals who listen to us who have not seen the the book yes for some reason or have continued to to stay <laughs> it's like an hour by the end of the minutes, guys watch the season <laughs> go watch it but yes by the end of the of the book the mirror version of tula comes to terms with who they are and decides that their name is lake and from move here moving forward we will be referring to them as lake because that is who they are i just gave the thumbs up but i also realized that that meant nothing so yay (laughs) yeah you know that thumbs up sure goes through on on an audio medium But I I do think that having a character come to terms with who they are and really pick a name for themselves and realize that they want to be viewed as this individual that they have decided that that is who they are is very powerful that's that's where the book is telling yeah lake's journey is when lake finds lake yeah and it's also i think really powerful that there's this moment before they pick their name where they look into the water and that before this moment has been an incredibly traumatizing thing to do because there's always this fear of the reflection of the water there's this fear of if i am encountered by water then the flecks are gonna come and try to kill me so for this moment to be looking into the water and not being worried about what is going to come out but focusing on the person that you see looking into the water was like like there were just so many layers to that moment and it was such a powerful way for the for the book to end and i i think that that says a lot about those who experience that in real life having to come to terms with who they are having to be able to feel comfortable seeing themselves as who they are and being comfortable with those who don't necessarily want them to be who they are and being happy with them not being in their life yeah i think lake's journey is incredibly powerful throughout the entire course of both books one and two and i honestly want to see more things like this yeah yeah, no, 100%. I think I think this show does such a good job of telling a story that was so affirming, to, I think, to people who have gone through this, but also doesn't shy away from talking about the larger difficulty and the trauma of living a life where you're not able to be who you want to be and other people aren't seeing you as who you know you are. And it 
there's this, I think that the show, because it's, this is such a short book. Again, it's like 120 minutes. It's two hours. And they're able to, to show this unbelievable journey of two different characters learning and growing together, becoming who they want to be, but then also tackling the issues of a society that doesn't want that for them, or at least for, for late. No, but even, even between the two, those two, they, they live in a society where it is established that they cannot be together. Like, Lake is not ever viewed as a person, and this does sort of imply that the denizens are viewed as a lesser being to the passengers. They're simply a means to an end to get these passengers off the train. That's true, and it's pretty much, ex- like, that's explicitly stated by the conductor at the end when MT is like, or when Lake is like, I want to go. And the conductor's like, but why? You've done such a great job. Look at how much Jesse has grown. And I think this show also does a fantastic job of bringing these two characters to the forefront and having them having them both be main characters because the whole point is that Lake isn't just this side character to help Jesse along but they also don't let Jesse become the side character who's just there to help Lake become better like they give them both full attention and full identities and full connective growth and like this is such a good model of I think what what I'm looking for when I'm thinking about like representations of relationships in media right like not just having a character who has a relationship with another character for that main character's purpose, but is in themselves an entire entity and fleshed out character that has just as much important in the narrative as the other. And I think that the book two does a really good job of balancing their two narratives and giving them both active attention and agency. Absolutely. They both have their own arcs. They both have their own points in this story where you truly see them grow. And you can tell that they do a lot to help each other, but they also do a lot to help themselves. Yeah. Oh, oh, that was so, oh my God, that gave me tingles. That was amazing. I love it. I love it so much because I love shows that focus on growth, collaborative growth. Like I am really here for people growing and helping one another. But ah, the point that that they do that, but then that they also are able to do things on their own independently. That was so good. I'm getting super excited about this show. Oh, such a good choice. I know. Such a good choice. It's a shame it's only got four seasons. (laughs) Kasha, you gotta get your stuff in a bag and like really really just really really just put it together yeah just do it well like all these puzzle pieces you you got it solved you just you just need to put it together just give the people what they want cartoon network it's all you care about and we are the people and this is what we want so pretty much that's all you need to know but yeah basically such good choices because this show like it would have been so easy for these choices to not have been made it would have been so easy to follow the same structure from book one it would have been so easy to have a main character and have a side character that just helps them it would have been so easy to not tackle these large issues that the world of the train brings up but they just they just do all of it they do it all so well and it's so good we've gotten at least somewhat in depth uh as to lake's journey in terms of coming to terms with who they are coming to terms with being appreciated for who they are how did you feel about jesse's journey and his means of coming to terms with being much more assertive and being much more careful with the individuals that he tries to please i think that that it was a really important journey for me to see and i don't think it's really been one that I can off the top of my head think of another show where a character has dealt with that although like obviously I'm sure it exists but I think like that is such a big part of adolescence and I was so excited to see it be presented because I think something that people struggle with as they grow up is this understanding that as you age and as you have more agency over your own decisions those decisions are going to impact those around you like at a larger scale or well I don't know if that's true but they're just they're going to impact the people around you and I think growing up is this process of really thinking about your actions and how they impact you and then how they impact others and being a teenager is like like this like explosion of that because you're starting to have more responsibility over your own world and therefore also having to take more responsibility for the way that your choices affect others and it's like it's you're gonna mess it up like that's just gonna happen that's the process of growing and learning and trying to understand how to be a good person with good intentions and good actions. Um, So I think that Jesse's story was really important. I was super excited to see it be presented. And I think that it's, again, one that is just so connectable for essentially everyone. Like, you know, I don't have a brother. So the exact thing that happens with Jesse isn't the exact thing that I've experienced. But like, you know, understanding and coming to terms with the fact that you've hurt someone and that you've let other people affect the way that you behaved is 100% something 
something that I can understand and that like that I am still unpacking, right? We all want to feel appreciated. We all want to be friends with the people around us. And it's not it's not often that we get a show that says, hey, you don't have to be friends with everyone. Some people deserve to be called out for the actions that they make and you need to be able to stand up for yourself and stand up for those you actually care about. Yeah, and I've talked about this before, but like the thing that I hate watching is good people getting dragged down by bad people and just making bad choices that hurt other people even when they don't intend it to happen. Like that is, that specifically is some is a narrative that I have such a hard time with. And what this show does is it gives you a snippet of that narrative, but it's not focusing on the trajectory of this person doing all of these bad things it's focused on the aftermath it's focused on the, the growth and the healing and the rebuilding of relationships so yay for not falling into the pitfall of the thing that i hate but actively working to change that narrative in a positive way i was super psyched about that i remember being like devastated when i saw the scene the first time when jesse is looking at his phone and like you see his interaction with his brother i was like i was so it made me so upset but again it's also <laughs> it's like a little moment right it only takes a couple of minutes and then the, the focus is on him becoming better for him to stand up for what he wants but also becoming better for his brother so I think that it didn't it didn't bog down the rest of the show for me because I knew the focus wasn't on this character just continuing to make these decisions but like actively unlearn the passivity that led to it you know so yes yeah and I think agency like this goes hand in hand with identity but agency is another big focus of this book right it's about learning who you are but it's also about being active in making choices that are good for you and good for the people that you care about and not just being passive and letting stuff happen but taking an active role and taking an active look at who you are and changing not just your attitude but your actions yes absolutely this season does touch fairly heavily on law enforcement and the concepts of following the quote-unquote law as it has been established whether or not it is or is not good for you this show does use law enforcement as one of its primary antagonists and one of the driving forces that push Lake and Jesse to move forward with their journey. And I think it'd be, it's going to be interesting to talk about Agent Mason, Agent Steve, for a bit if we want, if we would like to do that. Yeah. Did you did you know that they had names? No. Wait, what are they? It's Mason Steve. Wait, Mason. I, and Steve? Yes. Did they ever use I have it in front of me they, on IMDb. Do they ever use their names in the show? I believe they do. Well, I remember them referring to each other by name. I don't remember ever paying attention to that. Well, I'll have you know that in my head, I was like the cop with the hat and the cop without the hat. <laughs> and that's pretty much how they had been categorized in my head. So, so now to connect these two things which one is the one with the hat uh i believe mace is the one with the hat so mace has a hat and steve does or not does steve have the hat. the hat yeah steve is steve is the one without the hat okay Mace is the one that Tulip murders. Let's talk about that for a moment. Okay. Tulip literally murders someone. Yeah, yeah. They were going to murder her, though. And wait, not Tulip. Tu Lake. Did you say Tulip? Lake. Okay. You're right. You're right. I, I, like, Lake literally murders someone. I was like, is that another death that I forgot? Did I forget Tulip? <laughs> like, Tulip murdering someone in book one? Because, wow. But, yes. So that is, that is the yeah, thing Lake, that happens. Lake murders someone and then like barely, like you can see they've animated a scene where they are clearly coming to terms with the fact that they just committed a murder, but they do not have the time to fully recognize the the depth of what they've done. Yeah, that's some big stuff, huh? Oh, <laughs> it, it sure is. I'm trying to figure out how much I want to disclose about my complete lack of emotion when this character died. <laughs> Uh, do you not care even a little for Lake's well-being I, after having I did witnessed care. a death? Yes, I did care. And this is, this is, from my understanding, the first permanent death in the series. It is. I think I think part of it for me is that the character was already just a torso. Like they weren't going and I don't know all of the, the way that the, the mirror folk work, but like they had already started on this process of dying. They weren't going to make it. And so the moment when Lake wheels them, it is active, but I guess it, it hit me less because it was less of like this character who wouldn't have otherwise died is, die is now going to die because of Lake. It was 
because this character who is going to die anyway is dying a little bit sooner now because they are actively trying to kill Lee. Does that make any sense? It's uh, yeah. yeah, and and, I think- and to be fair, to be fair, that death is preempted by this individual psychologically torturing Lake for 12 straight minutes. Yeah. It's just an entire episode of just psychological torture. And I understand that I shouldn't, that I, like, death is still a big thing, but it is, like, I just, you know, I've got to acknowledge, right? Like, the, the way that you feel about the death is correlated with the way that you feel about the character, and this was a character that I had a lot of animosity towards. So I wasn't, like, cheering and clapping and thrilled when they were killed, but I also... I'm not going to lie and say that I was sad because I I wasn't. And again, maybe this is a growth that I need to do. Maybe I need to go on the infinity train and learn how to care more for others. <laughs> but at least I'm honest with where I'm at? Question mark? That, that's good. Yeah. No, I think for me, the emotion came more for Lake. I think like just the concept of watching someone die is insane. And especially when you feel that you are in a position where you need to do that for your own safety. Yeah. No, that's very true. Like, that is insanely dark. And honestly, I think it I think it does a great job of playing into the role of identity that Lake goes through throughout their journey on the train in terms of sometimes you do just need to kill the individuals that don't and cannot see you for who you are <laughs> not literally i'm not condoning yeah, murder yeah. but like you see where i'm going no 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 actual murder please because i mean it wasn't it wasn't lake's burden to carry and care for this individual right like the journey was to let it go yeah and i think also and i, I haven't like fully fleshed this out in my head but uh i think that the way that the audience feels or I guess maybe not the audience, the way that I felt towards the flex mirrored ha 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 ha, um, the way that I think the rest of the train views Lake. Because I think that those two characters had been so dehumanized in my mind that they weren't characters with identities beyond the role that they were serving, which was to go after Lake. And I think that's the way that the train sees these creatures that inhabit it that aren't the humans, right? They see them as these beings that serve the purpose of of helping but they have nothing beyond that purpose they don't have an identity they don't have like feelings and dreams they just have that purpose and that's how i started to feel about the flex i only saw them as the purpose that they served in the narrative i didn't see them as anything beyond that and i don't i haven't like quite figured out what purpose that served other than like showing how easy it is to dehumanize but i just wanted to point that out purpose it's that little flame oh my god that lights a fire under your ass Purpose keeps you going strong. Like a car with a full take tank of gas. gas. Everyone else <laughs> has a purpose. So what's mine? I know. I forget the rest. Oh, look. Here's a penny. It's from the year I was born. Hey. It's a sign. <laughs> anyway, back to yeah. whatever we were doing. <laughs> so, yeah. What, what, what are, also, what, what are we, where are we going? We were talking about law enforcement and the way that I felt yeah. about the flex. And also, we can't really talk about this with without getting a little political. So, for this podcast that is 100% not about politics, this is not a political podcast. Are you, are you telling me that the established social structure of the judicial system is not good? Uh, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> does not allow for a certain group of individuals to truly be seen as a full person or equal, at least in the eyes of the the, sh- in the of the overall arcing society. Yeah, and structure. Also, is that, that is that I, I I'm talking about Infinity Trade and nothing yeah, else. Yeah, nothing else. This is rooted solely in the show. This in no world. Yes, this in no way. Definitely no. We definitely are not all definitely the only thing that the the show deals with that we definitely don't deal with is this you know concept of having a body of people who have been so militarized that they are doing more harm than good and are unable to think about the people in front of them as something other than something to conquer is definitely just a show problem yep no definitely not yep 
Also, in our world, obviously, of course, all of our laws were created with good intentions and have good outcomes and are not political in any way. They're just law. And it's only an infinity train that you ever have to grapple with the idea that our laws are not neutral and that law is not the basis for morality. That's just a show thing. Yep, definitely ju- just the show. No, no real allegory to anything going on outside of Infinity Train. Yep, we got some good world building. Anyway, these cops are bad. Oh my god, they're so bad. Andy. All, hey, the, Andy. all these cops are so bad. All of them. Could, all do you of, think you all could these say cops. in the context of this show that all <laughs> cops are bad? Yes, I think within the context of this show, and no, nothing else outside of this, we're just talking about Infinity Train, all cops are bad. You know what? I, yeah, I think that we have been given ample evidence. And yeah, especially, especially when you have the parallel of this narrative when the co- the one who dies, like, literally asks, like, why did you become a cop? And they were like, to enforce the balance and the rules. And then their partner at the very end is like, no badge, no rules, and like, bust in with violence <laughs> and is literally actively acting against the rules that they have established, that it has been established they have chosen this path to uphold for uh rage and anger and vengeance so i do i do have one thing to bring up only one it it is it is canonical because it has been said by the creator that those two agents those two cops the 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 one with the hat and the one without the hat Mm -hmm. are in a romantic relationship what yes okay i am i at least I believe I remember you, that being said. I might be pulling that out of my butt. Please look that up. Please, please, dear God, tell me right now if that's true or not. Because otherwise we're going to end up having like a whole half hour conversation that will be completely negated by the truth. Pulling <laughs> it up. I don't know what the best way to look this up would be. Are the cops in Infinity Train lovers? Okay, but I don't want to pull up some like weird fandom. All right, I'll do it. I have no no fear. <laughs> no fear. Are the cops at Infinity Train in love? All right, let's see. Would that be under personality or trivia? <laughs> Are you on the, the fandom wiki? Yeah. Uh, bad cop and less bad cop. Honestly, that is going to be my response to anybody who wants to talk about good freaking apples. I mean, look, if one out of ten apples could kill me, I still wouldn't eat apples. Yeah, fair. I, I mean, I mean, it, within the context of Infinity Train is what I mean. Definitely. Yeah, just here in this world that in no way parallels our own. All right, this is just this. So the rest of this episode is just going to be Nadia and I looking up Infinity Train fanfiction. <laughs> and then it will be us writing uh, d- our own. <laughs> Nothing else. Okay, so considering the fact that I'm having a hard time finding this, I feel like that isn't. I believe it was in a Reddit AMA, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay. Well, the wiki has them listed as friends. We all know about all the historical figures that marry there and live with their uh, friend. Okay, well basically it doesn't really matter because they both suck anyway. The only thing that this will change is that they also suck each other. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good one. Good one, Nadia. I had a little bit of time to think about it while I was trying to look up whether or not they were in a relationship. But anyway, I do think that there is a reading of that that exists within this narrative. And I do think that it is very interesting that we don't say screw the rules until it personally affects us. Whether or not that was your friend or your partner. Yes. But you also don't, they also don't say screw the wor- rules when those rules are actively harming others, which to me is just as much a problem, right? Like if you're able to not follow the rules because it impacts you, you should be able to know to not follow the rules when those rules are negatively impacting somebody else. And I understand You know, you'd, you'd think that. I, yes, I understand you'd think that, that this is very much like an optimistic view, but I'm just saying the context, the, the argument that the rules were broken only because of this huge emotional response doesn't make me think any better of them. No, I'm not trying to say oh, that you should course. be thinking any of better of, of, are, of I'm saying are. I'm saying that there are definitely situations that are analogous to this where individuals may have been affected by oh I don't know some sort of large global pandemic that could never possibly happen in our real life. No, fantasy for sure. That 
would make them change the way they view a certain law or a certain set of laws specifically because it has affected them and not until that has happened do, do they change their mind. 100%, 100% the thing of fan. Yeah, no, that that only happens in these TV shows, not gotta, in real I life. I just gotta say, Andy, why do we keep watching these shows that are so far from reality? Like, why can't we just watch <laughs> something that, that forces us to think about our own world? You know, I really wish that there was a show that could do that, but I just they're all too far fetched, you know? Yeah, it's all it's all too out there. We we just keep we just keep wanting to this like escape from from reality. Yeah, such a shame. I bet if somebody did that, I bet I bet I bet if somebody made a show like that, there'd be a couple of people who talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, of course. And that show is called Invincible. We'll be doing that <laughs> next week. Oh, I'm very nervous and excited. So. I think, okay, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. Please give it past episode one. Okay, I want you to know that I have in fact watched the trailers, so I am a little bit more aware of what I am getting into. So, given all of the context that we have for books one and two, this train sure feels like a train that is a train. Yep. I definitely... Where where do you stand on this train's ability to better the individuals that board it? Okay, so season two for sure Z's gave me like this huge 180 and I mean season three gets more into it and I it's it was so hard and I'm not obviously going to talk or spoil anything from season three but watching season two with the context of of the later book like completely warped my perception like I couldn't just watch it the way that I did the first time and it was it was so rooted in what I had like learned over the course of continuing to watch the show but given books one and two I like gotta say I am not I should be a fan of this train because it it deals with the two things that I love I love public transportation specifically trains and I love self-growth and betterment which are like on the surface the two things you get from this show however that is just the surface and the the more of your you had self-growth and betterment at what cost oh my god I know and it keeps bringing up all of these questions too of like I uh, I like all all of these things of like can you is it even possible? Like, the whole thing of it being numeric is a huge issue for me. Like, how do you concretely and mathematically determine the amount of time and growth a person has to spend in this space to become better? How do you determine when they've done it? All of these things are super gray and subjective and rooted in so many different realities and experiences that it, like, to boil it down to a number feels so awful. And they do kind of acknowledge that the, the number system is flawed within the system that has been established when do they do that well yeah like the jesse comes back with an issue and it's a genuine issue that cannot be resolved within the system that has already been established mm-hmm. so his number malfunctions yeah true true yeah and like ugh, the whole so i think what this show does so well is that it, in each book you have to look at the picture in a larger scope and so for book one we're so rooted in tulip and tulip's experiences that we're not really confronted with the impact of this world beyond tulip like you you are a little bit when you have to confront the fact that like okay tulip has been gone for six months and thinking about her family back home and like the trauma of losing somebody you care about and having them go missing for that substantial period of time is like that is that is the question book one brings up right like what happens to the people who are left behind book two brings up this question of well what about the other beings on this train what about this world separate from the people how how is it treating them and <laughs> the answer is badly haha but like when tulip rips the the man out of his little pod like what is now going to happen to that man what are the implications of this person not going through this experience the way that it was intended and what are the implications of how much longer it may or may not take this person to get through and who he has or has not left behind yeah like there are so many factors that the train cannot take into account 
Yeah, and the tr- Can it really establish a means to better these individuals? No, I'm sorry, the, I interrupted. Oh, no, no, I completely agree. And I think the other thing is like the train isn't, it is using this model as a fits all model. And that's not the way that any model should work when you're looking at individuals. You should never say, I'm going to create this singular thing that is going to treat everyone the same and give everyone the same thing and have it work. Th- I'm like getting, I'm like rambling, but basically it's like I, th- I thought you were getting political there uh, no me no but like it, it makes me think so much about the <laughs> education system right like we like not only in my head of course I was making the parallel between like the numbers that people are assigned and grades and like I have my own emotional history with like being a teacher and having to grade students and sort of like the implications that I felt emotionally of having to boil down somebody's work to this number that was then just going to be boiled down into this algorithm that was going to boil down into another freaking number that was going to become a letter like what um so like that was super emotional for me but then there's also this the whole thing of like okay we're going to do this system that is going to give everyone the quote-unquote same experience but what that ends up doing is just creating spaces of inequity because you should never be giving everybody the same thing that's not the way it works so this train in no way is tailoring experiences to participants and like it's already been established that like the cars move stuff shifts so you are not being you as a person on this train are not being put into a specific situation that is going to help you grow you were just thrown into this space where you have to progress until you find the one car or the one moment or the one friend that is or the, the one thing that is going to help you become better but it's it's not tailored to the person right it's not like they're put in a car that is going to tackle the specific thing they have to work through they're just thrown into this world and that just seems yes. so awful <laughs> and it just seems like something that yes again, no I absolutely agree. Yeah, it's setting people, it is setting certain people up for success and it is setting certain people up for failure. And I think, again, it just, again, reflects the inequality of the world that people come from. Absolutely. And I do think, I do think the train to some degree does tailor some of these cars. Like the the one specifically that comes to mind on this one is the, is the toad car for Jesse. Yes, but it didn't specifically plan for that car to happen early in Jesse's journey. It was just happenstance right like that could have been something that that jesse happened upon 20 years onto the train and then what right and like then he kicks then he kicks the toad yeah but like this whole other idea of the people that they leave behind and the length of the journey and the like the goal of the train is not to make the journey short it is just to give them this journey and again for me because i think a lot about relationships like the goal of becoming better is obviously to become better for yourself and to become a better version of who you are but in many ways i think it's also to become a better version of who you are so that you can be a better version for others and to build stronger relationships and to have an impact beyond yourself that is positive on the world around you. If the goal is to become a better person so that you can be better for yourself, but also have this positive impact on those around you and the world, which is what I think is the way stuff should go, then the implications of being thrust back into a world that is however, like where time passes chronologically with your time on the train is just so unbelievably messed up because you are then entering a world where your absence has probably left some amount of trauma on other people. So while you have healed- Yeah, it's going to just continue this yeah, snowball effect of exactly you have healed messing with people your healing has then hurt others and then also like if you outlive the people that you would care like what if you could get thrust back into a world that you don't know the trauma of re-entering a space that has changed is like astronomical and this is also not something that you can ever talk to anybody else about so if you've just yeeted yourself off of the regular world even if it's just been for like a week how the heck are you supposed to justify that to people who have no concept like who can't conceive the train because if you tell them the truth you're going to be insane if you lie you're going to lose relationships there's like literally no there is no way of winning after getting onto this train on top of that the the train itself isn't exactly safe no you can literally die you can you can just straight up die very easily i might add it's not it's not a safe space the train isn't looking out for you as you go and it can be quite dramatizing it's almost 
I want to compare the Infinity Train to, like, the Saw film <laughs> franchise. I'm here for it. Where it's like, the whole point of the Saw film franchise is that this is a serial killer who kidnaps people who he believes do not respect their life and are not grateful for their life enough, and puts them into situations where they either have to confront their, their demons, confront their vices, and become better individuals, and come out as better individuals, or they die. Wait. That's what Saw is about? Wait, have you have you not seen Saw? In, in what world do you think that I would have actively chosen and then <laughs> seen the movie Saw? Interesting. The world where you are explicitly told that Saw is about character development. It's literally all just character development. I was going to say, that actually makes me kind of want to watch Saw. I did not think that I would spend my day convincing you that you would genuinely enjoy <laughs> Saw, the horror film <laughs> franchise. You're, see, Andy... If we're going to talk about self-growth, you have sent me on a journey of self-growth, of being opened to things that I would usually not open myself up to in terms of shows, in terms of movies. So you are making me a more well-rounded person. And I will have that same pleasure when we watch Barbie Life in the Dream House to see you grow as an individual. So You don't know that that's a show I wouldn't watch in the first that's place. That's also true, but the fact that you haven't already, I'm just glad to be the person who sets you up on the journey to finally follow through, you know? <laughs> that's just what I needed. Yeah. Just the, just just the that, little, that one follow like, through. I might only be giving you a little nudge while you're you're literally throwing me off of the cliff, but it's still, it's still, you know, still good. Still good. Anyway, where were we? <laughs> uh, we were just talking about the train on Infinity Train and how freaking awful it is. And I have one more example that I've been thinking about, about how it sucks. And that is that, okay, so you know the episode where they are putting together the map and yep. like the being in the room is just actively setting them up to be in a space where they could be in that room forever. Yeah, but that is also another one that specifically feels tailored to Jesse. Yes, but imagine if it were somebody who was just like hella into adventuring and had a super fun time and just got caught in that room like forever. Not thinking about me or any other specific person I might know, but like, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like, like someone who would actually just yeah, accept this yeah. as their life because now? Again, like some rooms are going to be helpful for some people, but some rooms are also going to perpetuate perpetuate the things that they should be fixing. Because like I can definitely conceive of something where somebody is in a room and the goal of getting out of that room, like the way of getting out could actively harm them. And I'm trying to like figure out how to say this, but like the toad room is a great example, right? Like, yeah. although I guess getting out of the room isn't the goal and getting out of the room can increase or decrease your number based off of your individual struggles so i guess that kind of negates what i was saying but like i'm, I'm still stuck on the toad room because like what because that one fits who Jessie, does that like, help outside is... of jesse this is now a truth is now a room that exists on this train and that other individuals yeah. can go through and it's also been established like it's not like the toad picks what to say we know canonically that he just gets kicked over and over again like that is his whole purpose so like either you get into that room because like what if your journey is that you don't listen to people i don't know i'm just trying it, like that room just who who is that what if you're just help? really what if you're just really scared of kicking toads and that's like that one thing that like ruined your entire life well then you you better hope you never get to that car because you'll be stuck in it forever also okay what now is going to happen to that room now that the toad is gone is it just an empty room that you get locked in that you can't get out of because the toad is missing does it like decommission the room does it remake the room like what happens next no that's a good question right? That is now a... In, in my mind, it was like, this is just now an empty white void with an open door on both ends. I mean, me? I guess so. But, like, it's entirely possible yeah. that you just get in there and you're trapped. And also, like, we've... It's, forever. It, it's also been established that, like, the, the beings on the train, while they obviously don't have a lot of agency, they are able to move around the train, right? Like, that happens in book one. It happens in book two. Yeah, and you, you do see repeat characters throughout. You have the cat in the in the carnival room. The toad appears in the carnival room. As we already mentioned, the toad gets out of that that one room and goes into another. Yeah, and it's also been established that these the beings within the train have agency and can also like not help you. They can actively hurt you. That's what we get with the cat in book one. So like basic basically the train just mimics real life, but it's worse because when you leave, you are re-entering a world where your growth can no longer be linear because it do is you, do you think? You out. Hear me out. We don't see a whole lot of the real world in this series. 
True. Over the course of everything. Yeah. Do you think that this train has an effect on the real world's mythology and the real world's concepts? What do you mean? Is this train like, is this something that is known within the the actual universe? Well, I don't. Like, do we have like trained therapists oh that go over your experiences oh while you're God. on this train once you get out? That's hysterical. But also, but everyone is like surprised when they see the train and they also have to, like everyone is like, oh, where have you been? And like Jesse had to explain to his brother. So while I can see what you're trying to do here with that hypothetical. Is the train a myth? Hmm, but is, it, is it something that like story tells of a mysterious train that, that abducts you in the middle of the night? I mean, even if it but is. But no one really believes it? I mean, even if it is a myth, I don't think it matters because your myths are not treated as reality, even if they are like known mythology, right? Like there are a lot of fantasy books that deal with unicorns and dragons, but if I left and went missing for six months and then came back and told you that I had been on this massive adventure with unicorns and dragons, you would still think I was just as insane, right? No, I would believe you. Oh my god, Andy. Well, you know what? You you specifically, I would believe. That's true, but like the world would not. So I don't think I'm, tr I don't think it matters because I think that the train is still setting you up yeah, that doesn't change the, yeah, the experiences the that these individuals also, are going on. I think on. we talked about this in book in book one, but it also doesn't change the manipulation of appearing to people when they're at their lowest. It is set up to give people sort of the, the how do I say it? It's set up to make people feel like they have a choice, but it's not really giving people a choice. Because like, yes, of course you could choose whether or not you go on the train, but if it is appearing to you in a moment where you, purposefully in a moment where you are like so unbelievably upset with the world that you are currently living in or are like in a space where you are fed up with the point that you've gotten to in your life like yeah of course you'd go on the freaking train with that we will be ending things here uh, it has been a pleasure discussing this book two of infinity train at some point we will come back for book three when we are emotionally <laughs> recovered a bit so me when when i am emotionally recovered a bit that was very kind of you to use we but let's be honest no Okay, well that's good. Good to know I'm not alone. No, no. Considering considering our topic on our next episode, I, I mean we as in we. Oh, wow. So that's making me even more nervous. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well... I, I, I trust I, I trust you I, to Oh wait, no, did you cry? Did this did this make you cry? Oh, no, actually it didn't. And I don't think it did the first time either. Which I don't I don't think it did for me yeah, either. I, I I definitely didn't cry in the rewatch. I don't think I I mean it made me feel things, but it did it didn't make me cry. Because totally unemotional things have made me cry. <laughs> so like I don't want people to think, oh wow, it didn't make Nadia cry. This is like, you know, I'll be fine. Like it's definitely it hit me in a lot of emotional spots, but not like the specific crying spots it didn't it didn't tickle tickle you in your crying spots it didn't it didn't reach out and pull out my eye water no mm, yeah. mm, tasty tasty eye water <laughs> my salty salty eye water anyway uh next episode we will be discussing the amazon prime original invincible i am terrified so buckle up i i don't think you should be terrified but i appreciate the notion <laughs> uh and with that i believe we'll be wrapping up if you'd like to contact us we can be found at animedpod at gmail and twitter uh, if you'd like more of me specifically i've recently started streaming on twitch you can find me at twitch.tv slash neoamp that is n-e-o-a-m-p yay go watch it sometimes leah and i pop on and play stardew valley with andy so and and at some point we will be doing doki doki literature club, i am I swear. so excited we will 100 percent let you know and we're gonna do doki doki literature club i am cannot wait so if you'd like to watch me ruin my friendship with leah and nadia please <laughs> please come check this out uh, and with that, everyone have a good rest of your day. Goodbye. Bye.